Uh, Nick, the Emergencies Act inquiry just wrapped up and we kind of saw uh, Freedom Convoy organizers, I guess, re-prosecuting their case. Uh, they were getting a lot of headlines again. Now, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev was an early supporter of the Freedom Convoy. And, I, and I'm curious if uh, if this uh, had any impact on his uh, on his party's support. You know, what's clear is that this whole inquiry has been a big political hot potato, hmm. right? For the conservatives, for the liberals, for the police, for governments and stuff like that. You know, it's interesting. We track every week ballot support for all of the major parties. And we can see right now in the latest Nanos tracking that the liberals are at 31, conservatives at 30. So basically a statistical tie between the two front running parties. But look at the four week change. You can see that the conservatives are down four points or thereabouts. The liberals down one. NDP up six. Hmm. Maybe this inquiry is about kind of none of the above where people look at the liberals and the conservatives and go, all right, the liberals didn't do a great job at managing this. So there are lots of issues. And then for people that were looking at the conservatives um, and Pierre Poiliev, that they uh, remembered his support for the truckers convoy. So maybe one of the, the key takeaways here is that for Pierre Poiliev, when he was focused on meat and potatoes issues like the cost of living, his numbers were good. Uh, connection to the convoy, not so good in terms mm. of a big national strategy. Oh, we did see a, an increase when he was hammering uh, the prime minister about cost of living issues in, in question periods. So, so that's interesting. I mean, that's that's really what's what's speaking to most Canadians, I suppose. Yeah, I think. And I think the video, was he holding toast and bacon or bacon? Or <laughs> yeah, toast? No, I don't yeah. know. The YouTube video that got mm -hmm. boatloads of eyeballs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's he's built a brand, part of his brand. It's and there are a number of elements to it. Part of his brand relates to him being worried and concerned about the rising cost of living and people just paying the bills. Another part of his brand has to do with his uh, past support of the uh, of the truckers freedom convoy. Mm -hmm. And it looks like one is definitely uh, one definitely plays well among Canadians. The other one, a little more of a mixed bag. Good for the good for the conservative base, especially the base that put him into power as the leader of the conservatives. Perhaps not good for a growth strategy. Hmm. Uh, Nick, we also saw Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, testify at the hearings on the on the final day uh, of the hearings, and and I guess some may have uh, wondered if if there was any political risk to that. Uh, but but according to your ballot tracking, it, it doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, no no negative fallout at least uh, yet for uh, Trudeau. And you know the fact of the matter is he showed up. Uh, he testified. I don't think people can complain about uh, the Liberals not being engaged on this inquiry, which had to take place. It has to take place whenever the Emergency Act is invoked. Mm -hmm. So there's no there's no discretion on the part of the government as to whether this inquiry exists or its participation in the inquiry. Uh, I think for those that uh, watched it, generally thought that uh, the Prime Minister did a reasonably good job at answering questions. Uh, but the fact of the matter is most people already have a formed opinion about Justin Trudeau. They either like, and I don't think, and I think it's polarized. I think people either like or don't like uh, Justin Trudeau. And uh, I'm not sure that this moved the dial either in his favor or against him uh, based on his performance at the, uh, at the inquiry itself. Uh, Nick, on, on the subject of ballot tracking, I, I wanted to talk about a party that we haven't discussed in a long time, uh, the Green Party. So wh while all this was happening, yeah, the Green Party, they've been sort of in the political wilderness for a while now. They have uh, new leaders, co-leaders. There's Elizabeth May, familiar face, of course. 
and the former journalist and human rights uh, activist uh, Jonathan Padneau. Um, I'm I'm curious uh, what you make of this and where their numbers are right now. Well, it's kind of like a two for one deal, right? For the Green Party, like if you think one leader's not enough, let's have two co-leaders. <laughs> Why so, not? And and it's retro hour. Elizabeth mm. Bay is back, right? She was, uh, you know, she's one of the key individuals that kind of led a renewed Green Party that really wasn't a big factor on the Canadian political landscape until she arrived. Um, and, you know, she took a step back uh, after the election and her performance in the last uh, election. And it looks like, uh, it looks like it's, it's, it's what's a movie? I think is it The Godfather? Like every time I go out, they try to pull me back in. I think <laughs> yes, that's what's yeah. happening with the Green Party, where mm -hmm. you know, for some uh, for some individuals, especially within the Green Party, they saw her as a safe alternative. And she gets to add Jonathan Pedno mm -hmm. uh, as the new twist on the old leadership. What's interesting is nationally they're at around five percent in the in the weekly tracking. But Michael, let's check out the long term trend or the longer term trend on the proportion of Canadians that would consider voting for the Green Party. And what we're seeing right now is a trend line that goes back to 2015. So it's seven years ago, this in 2015, November. Um, what we can see at least is right now, um, a little less than 30% uh, of Canadians would consider voting for the Green Party. But when you look at that trend line, um, it's been, it's usually in the mid thirties. So mm. it's a little lower than it has been. And then you can see that one spike. There's one spike where it goes way down, like a negative spike goes down to, uh, to 20%. That mm. was when they had the real big kerfuffle. Like I'll call mm. it the, uh, the green, I don't know what we want to call it. <laughs> the green messiness, big yeah. green mess. Um, when, uh, when there was a disagreement on the uh, national executive, Annamie Paul was, uh, was basically cut off, cut out, cut off at the knees, and there was lots of internal bickering. That was actually the low point for mm -hmm. the proportion of Canadians that would consider voting green at twenty percent. So better, uh, better than it was uh, at that low point, but still not where it has been traditionally. So there's still a bit of rebuilding that has to take place for the Green Party. I was going to say it ain't easy being green, but the green messiness is is better. I like that better. Yeah, the, uh, the big green mess. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, I, I'm just fascinated by this because, you know, with your own issue tracking, uh, Canadians routinely rank the environment uh, as, I don't know, top three, let's say, uh, you know, and, and there's more attention on environmental issues than ever before. And, and the Green Party just seemed to have this big uh, implosion. But but maybe uh, May and Pedno will, will be able to bring uh, some more uh, stability to the party and, and engage Canadians uh, yet again. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next year. Absolutely. You know what, if the Greens, you know, the narrative has been the Greens have been divided, right? Annamie Paul being the uh, the best example, her relationship with the National Council. Um, and, you know, I, I think we should call it the fiasco of the Green National Election Campaign in in the last federal election, where they didn't give their federal leader any resources. Our, the federal leader for all infects hmm. basically campaigned in her own riding, trying to win that. So, the Greens have to start off. The first part of the narrative has to be that they're united. And I think that's what uh, that's what Elizabeth May and Jonathan Pedno have to do. They have to send a narrative to say, let's put everything behind us. We're now united. And uh, they're going to focus on issues such as the environment and put that environmental lens on the big picture in order to uh, to advance environmental issues. 
and uh, and to rebuild the Green Party of Canada. Uh, Nick, I want to go over to uh, our friends at West in Alberta uh, and talk about Danielle Smith, uh, the new premier. Uh, so she campaigned, uh, you know, on a promise promise of standing up for Alberta within uh, within uh, federal Canada. Uh, and uh, this week she launched a, a new bill. I'm, I'm going to have to read this part. Pardon me, because it's it's a long one. The uh, uh, oh my gosh, what is it? The Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. Uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, essentially it, it's, it's a bill where if uh, there's federal regulations and uh, federal legislation that that is not necessarily in Alberta's best interest, they may be able to. Uh, to ignore it. Canada's provinces and territories are part of a larger whole, but are not subordinate to it. As Albertans, we love our Canada deeply. This is our home, and we are honoured to be contributing members. But the way Ottawa has treated the province, most especially Alberta, is unacceptable. Albertans are demanding action to restore a relationship that respects Alberta's sovereign areas of provincial jurisdiction, as defined by the Constitution. I'm fascinated by this. If there's support for this beyond uh, Smith's main core of support, uh, and if Albertans in general uh, agree to this sort of thing. Well, first of all, uh, it's always good provincial politics, whether it doesn't matter what province you're from, to uh, beat up and uh, gripe and take swipes at the government in Ottawa. So we shouldn't really be surprised. And it's a it's a very storied and uh, storied tradition in Canadian politics. Uh, but what we're seeing with the premier of Alberta is that she is she's taking it to a new level. We also know from the polling that uh, when we talk to individuals in the West, that the word they're most likely to use to describe how they feel about the, the government in Ottawa is anger. So people are angry in the West. They're angry at Ottawa. Uh, they feel that the Federation is is not working. But this is kind of, you know, what's odd about this whole thing, you know, this this new act that gives powers specifically to the to the cabinet um on a lot of uh on, on federal issues and allows uh alberta to chart its own course it's kind of like yeah we're still living in the house but you know what lunch is no longer at 12 o'clock we might not want to have lunch at 12 we'd like to have lunch at two instead hmm. or uh you know what uh when the power bill comes in maybe we don't want to pay that or we want to pay less hmm. or you know what? We think we should. Uh, we're not being recognized, so it's it's going to inherently lead to conflict um, between the federal government and uh, and the province of Alberta. The big question is: is the big question? Will there be copycats? Will the government of Saskatchewan adopt something? And you know what? If if a second province adopts a similar strategy, then I think the federal government really has to worry to kind of uh, contain what could be a new contagion in the Federation that could be a fundamental game changer. And how about this? Why don't I throw, you know, since the holiday season will be upon us and is upon us, mm -hmm. why don't I throw out one piece of good news that perhaps this legislation forces the provinces and the federal government to talk about a renewal of the Federation and how it works. Because I think, I think that's basically what, uh, the government of uh, of Alberta is trying to say they're trying to say we're not happy, we need to change things, and this is uh, this is I would say this could be a first opening political gambit 
to have a discussion on how the Federation needs to be renewed. So how's that? So we can have doom and gloom or maybe a little bit of uh, Federation sunshine. I like, I admire your optimism on this. I, I, I'm hopeful too. You made me hopeful, Nick. That's good. Well, there we go. <laughs> Uh, sticking with uh, Alberta and, and Premier Smith, uh, she's come out against uh, school mask mandates. Um, this is at a time when when Alberta, like much of Canada, is dealing with a lot of seasonal illnesses like the flu, COVID, RSV, etc. Um, I'm I'm curious because you've done previous polling on how Canadians feel about uh, masks, masking, and and I'm just wondering again if this is something Smith is doing that might appeal to people beyond her uh, core supporters or, or not? Well, I think this is very good for fundraising um, for the, the United Conservative Party in Alberta because it, it, strikes a, it strikes a chord, any kind of what I'll say heavy-handed government uh, intervention. As long as there's not a major outbreak, I, 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 think, I think the government will be okay. The provincial government will, okay, will be okay mm. as long as there's not a significant outbreak as long as there isn't a narrative emerging that people are dying as a result of uh, lack of uh, wearing masks and and you know they'll probably uh, they'll probably be okay and you know the thing is we look at the numbers you know when we ask Canadians the top unprompted national national issue of concern we're still tracking coronavirus because if somebody says coronavirus we say we re we report that but it's now mm -hmm. like not one percent it's like a zero. 0.1%. Normally, we wouldn't even report on anything like this, but wow. we do report it because it's actually important that re regardless of what we see in the news about, you know, young kids and respiratory issues that they're having, news about whether there should be masking in schools, the fact of the matter is, is that for average Canadians, coronavirus, the pandemic, at least in this particular case, is not on the agenda they're actually more likely to be worried about healthcare mm. and uh, whether the healthcare system is functioning and people can access a doctor and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break, but uh, when we come back, we'll look at the strain on our hospitals. Uh, Nick, so we're seeing a lot of reports about uh, hospitals in Canada, especially emergency rooms, under immense strain because of this spike in cases of flu, COVID, RSV. Uh, I'm I'm curious where healthcare stands now as an issue for Canadians. It's on the rise. You know, check out the four week change on top unprompted national issue concern in the nanos tracking. Healthcare at the top of the list, 16%, up a full three percentage points in the last four, four weeks. Inflation at 15, up two. Jobs at 15, down four. Environment at 13, up two. Um, not a lot of focus on uh, on the pandemic with coronavirus at 0.1. But what we are seeing is that an increasing number of Canadians are focused on healthcare as their top unprompted national concern. It's, it's what they're worried about, increasingly worried about right now. Hmm. Now, in, in Ontario, at least, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, um, sort of public anger, I suppose, uh, at, at the handling of our healthcare system. How did it get like this? Uh, why is it under such strain? And and I and I, I know that the Ontario health minister had to come out and say that it, it it's not, a, you know, a way to push us towards privatization. This this is there. There are long term solutions that she's working on. Uh, I'm curious, like, who do Canadians uh, blame for when our healthcare system comes under strain? Is it a federal thing? Is it the provincial government? Oh, they're blaming everyone. 
How's that? Everyone. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, the reality is, is that provinces deliver health care as part of their constitutional mandate, but the federal government uh, plays a significant role in funding health care. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and the thing is, is what we see is what we know from the polling is that uh, there's been consistent support for publicly funded health care across Canada and consistently over time. It's kind of like part of our identity and and uh, people always get a little nervous when there's anything kind of American style. Mm-hmm. And uh, privatized healthcare is probably at the top of the list, which is why governments tread in Canada very carefully on uh, when it comes to any perception of of privatizing healthcare services, because they know that it's uh, it it can be a very risky strategy depending on what they say. So uh, I'm not surprised that the Ford government is uh, soft peddling mm-hmm. uh, anything related to. I'll call it the P word privatization and connecting that to changes in the healthcare system. And it, it was only just a few weeks ago, I think, that all the health provincial health ministers in the federal government uh, got in a room together and and they were trying to figure out a new uh, healthcare funding uh, deal. The provinces would like more money for uh, for healthcare, and they didn't get anywhere. Um, I mean, this this seems like an issue that's only going to get worse in the next year. Well, they didn't get anywhere because I'm not sure how much. Uh... How much fiscal room the the federal government has to give mm-hmm. more money, and uh, as a as a result, you know, the Trudeau government hasn't been hot uh, about engaging the premiers on uh, on on healthcare and increasing uh, increasing the the level of federal transfers. And you have to remember in this context that some provinces are have surpluses, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like. What's up with that? You've got a surplus. The federal government still has a still has a significant deficit, and uh, if you know from the federal perspective, if a if a if a provincial government has a surplus and it believes that it needs more money for healthcare, that perhaps because provinces also help fund provincial health care, that perhaps they should be just be taking some of those surpluses and not necessarily delivering things like break, tax breaks and tax cuts to uh to citizens in their province so you know i think there's validity on both sides uh when it comes to the the funding argument Mm. uh and do you see this as becoming uh more of a political risk for the federal government as as we move along or or do you think this is just sort of a a political issue that's been going since uh, i guess you know for decades and and there's no end to it well, the big question is, is, is this a bigger crisis than we have seen in the past? And I think what worries Canadians, regardless of what part of the country that they live in, is, you know, when emergency rooms close, when they can't find a, a, fa- a family doctor or have a general practitioner and they have to go into either emergency or to clinics, uh, that it creates, it creates a, a high level of anxiety that the healthcare the healthcare services that people want might not be there. Uh, that said, I'm not sure that Canadians are convinced that spending more money is the solution. Uh, but I do know, we do know from, from research that's been done in the past that making sure that hospitals are staffed well, uh, making sure that we have enough physicians in the province and that our educate our post-secondary education system creates the nurses and the physicians that we need are probably top priorities, but the challenge with that is it's not a spigot. You can't just turn a spigot on and all of a sudden have more general practitioners uh, mm-hmm. available for uh, for Canadians. It takes time. 
to uh, to create these folks. And I think the other thing we have to worry are physicians who, for their own frustration or for whatever reason, decide to leave, or and nurses decide to to leave Canada and go to the United States, and uh, to be in that other system. Well, Nick, there's a lot more to to get into on this on this very complex issue, and I I know in the new year I think uh, we'll have a special episode just on uh, healthcare, taking a deeper dive at it. Uh, Nick, I think that's it for this episode, though. So uh, as always, thank you very much. You too. Bye bye. <laughs>